Good? All right. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, as I was in India, uh, I found myself just feeling distant. Not, not just from here. Obviously, I was far, far away from home, distant from my kids and uh, and, and you, my church family, but I was feeling, if I can be completely honest with you, I, I hope you'll allow me that, I was feeling distant from the Lord. And I, there wasn't anything in particular, no particular sin that I could point to and say, this is what is keeping me from him. There, was, there wasn't uh, some, some underlying worry or fear or doubt that I was experiencing, I was just feeling distant. And as I was lying in the bed in the hotel room, uh, I, it, it, it hit me probably, uh, like maybe some of these things have hit you before. It was because I wasn't spending time with the Lord. I'd really found that I was kind of giving all the excuses, right? Like I was, uh, I was in another country. I was 10 and a half hours difference. There was jet lag. I, was, I had just picked up a kid, right? So I just added him to the family, trying to figure all of that out. I gave myself the excuse of being tired or uh, whatever the thing was. And, and really, I was just not in the word. Like there was a... A, a tangible for me, tangible difference in the times that I spend with God, where I, I actually hear from him, than when I don't. And, and here's what I would say to that. Uh, that, was, that was truly a few days long. It, it wasn't uh, this months long. It wasn't years long. But God was so gracious to me as I laid in the bed that night to... Uh, to remind me of passages of scripture. You know how scripture even tells us that uh, we, we hide God's word in our heart that we will not sin against him. You ever feel like uh, the word is so hidden in your heart that it might even be hidden from you? You know what I'm saying? Where it just feels like I can't even find it. Like where, where is it in there? It, I, I think it's there. I think I've been doing all that I'm supposed to, but where is it? And, and the Lord was so gracious to to bring me back to different passages of scripture, like Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. It hit me like, you're not doing that. You are, I am saying what the psalmist said, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. I feel like I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But I, I wasn't looking upon him in the sanctuary. I wasn't beholding his power and glory. I wasn't looking to his steadfast love that is better than life. I was just looking around, I guess. And, and listen to Psalm, I know we're not preaching a sermon on Psalm 63, but listen. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. 
your right hand upholds me. Right? I, I was in a dry land because I wasn't going to the very place where the richness of life is offered, where the, where the river of life, the free-flowing offering of, like, I was, it felt like a desert, and I had the water bottle with me, but I wasn't drinking it. Right? Have you ever, ever been there? Am I the only one that's ever been there? Maybe I am. That's fine. You're still getting the sermon. Too bad. But like, man, and so as I sat there, the Lord also took me to Psalm 34. And uh, it was through going to Psalm 34 and spending time there uh, that I made a pivot and I sent David uh, Leonard uh, in the middle of the night email. I didn't text him. Uh, but I did send him a middle of the night email that said, May 1st is going to change. We're going to look at Psalm 34. So uh, I hope you're okay with that pivot. You didn't know what the sermon today was going to be anyway. So uh, Psalm 34, we are. I, I want to read all of Psalm 34 to us. So look, look at it with us. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is maybe the most famous of the, this psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I'm going to pause here and just say this next verse. Uh, if, you, if you are an underliner, circler, star, whatever, this is one to do that for. This is one you, you write down and you put on your mirror and you remind yourself of daily. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take, who take refuge in him will be condemned. You can see why Psalm 34 is maybe after that experience I was having, why we would go here, why the Lord would send me here again. So what I want to do is, as we often do here, we kind of walk through a passage. I use that phrase a lot, or or unpack all that is here. I'm going to do my best to unpack it all. There certainly uh, can't get through every nook and cranny, but I hope to get through much of it. And I want us to consider the truths as we want to be ones who stay close to the Lord. Not, that, not be ones that feel distant from him, but ones that are near him. We want to be near to the one. Like if we are brokenhearted or if we are rejoicing, if things are good, if things are bad, whatever the case is, we want to be near to him. So we want to see in this passage how we can do just that. The first thing we ought to do is praise the Lord. We should praise him. He is worthy of our worship and praise. I I think about, uh, we were just singing that, worthy is your name. Do you know why we would say worthy is the name Jesus? I know that in uh, the United States, we don't know a lot of other Jesuses. And so we just think that that's a unique name in itself. You go to other countries, Jesus or Jesus is used a lot. Lots of people have that name, right? It's a common name. But the reason that he's worthy of that name is it means the Lord saves. So when we're saying the person of who we call Jesus, the person of Christ is worthy of being the one who's called the one who saves. I think about passages like Revelation 4, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. If nothing else in your life ever happened positively, the fact that God himself is creator of all things by his will, by his word, all things were created means he's worthy of our praise. Nothing else could happen. And all else deserves us to bring him praise. He is worthy of blessing. Look at verse one, right? I will bless the Lord. How often? At all times. Not at some times, not when it is most convenient to me, not when all things are going well for me, not when I'm sleeping well, not when, like again in my story, not when like my time difference isn't messed up, not when uh, I didn't just bring a kid into my family, not when, no, it's, it's all times. He's worthy of blessing. Why is he worthy of blessing? Why should his praise be continually on our mouth? I think about how Paul writes about this. He, he doesn't just give us kind of an out and say, you know what, when your conditions aren't so great, you can pause on praising him. Is, is, that, is that how scripture works? No. Is that how life works? works. No. Think about, think about how Paul writes this in Philippians. He's, he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he writes this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received or revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And, and so he's saying you had a reason to be concerned. Life for me is hard. 
That's what he's saying. I mean, like, we can go through the litany of things that Paul went through. We know life was difficult for him. Uh, prison, imprisonment to be, not to say the least, he was beaten, ran out of town, shipwrecked, all kinds of ailments. And, and yet here's what he says. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where is his contentment found? It's found in Christ. It's found in the one who actually provides him the strength to persevere, to make it through imprisonment, to make it through beatings, to make it through shipwreck, to make it through being ran out of town, to make it through ailments and sicknesses and make it through. So he's able to say, you are worthy of being blessed, not because of my circumstances or my situation or my, all the stuff that's happening around me. You are worthy because for from him and through him and to him are all things. So to him be the glory forever and ever. This is where you say amen. Right? This, this is what we're talking about, church. This is where we're, we're looking in and we're saying, like, this is it. So when the psalmist says, "My, I will bless the Lord at all times, it's because he's worthy of our blessing. He's also worthy of boasting. Look at verse two. <clears throat> My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble hear and be glad. You see, boasting in, in yourself is vain, right? Uh, exclaiming your accolades, how smart you are, how good you are. And, and you can, uh, some of us, some of, some of us do this uh, not as much in person as we do on Facebook, and Instagram, Twitter, right? We like, to, we like to do these like hashtag humble brag. There's no such thing. It doesn't, it doesn't work out. We like to do these things where we tell everybody how great, how humbled we are that we got whatever we got, right? Whatever award, whatever the thing is, and I get it. But what, what we need to understand is that boasting in the Lord is not in vain. It's commendable. It's what we're supposed to be doing. It's where we say, like, God is the one who deserves the praise, who deserves the glory, who deserves the honor, who deserves for us to say he's the one who did it. And it is so easy for us to, to think or, and even to act as though it is our work that is bringing about good in our kids' lives, our grandkids' life. It is our work that's, that's provisional for them. That is, is good for us and our work. We're making the grades. We're, we're getting the job promotion. And, and to a point, we are the ones doing the work, right? We are earning the paycheck. We are providing for our family. We are making the grades or getting the job promotion, yes. But even if you're not giving him credit, credit's his. 
So why not boast in the one who actually deserves the boasting? He's worthy of boasting. He's worthy of magnifying. The song we just sang, Christ be magnified in me. Verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This magnify, I, I was thinking some about the idea of magnification, like, right? And, and there's two ways to look at that. One would be like a microscope, right? Or uh, a lot of times you would even think like magnifying glass, like you're looking at something that's small, trying to make it larger, right? Something that's microscopic in size, and you look at it under the microscope, and uh, you, some of you remember science class, right? Some of you look at microscopes now. You're actual scientists or doctors or whatever it is that makes you look at it. That's always intriguing because it's something you, you can't see at all and then you look at it and, and it's exposed because of the, the intensity of that. But there's another type of magnification. It's like a telescope, right? A telescope isn't helping you see something small, bigger, it's helping you see something massive that just happens to be really far away and ha helping it as though you can see the intricacies of it, the details of it. If you, if you think about uh, like the Hubble telescope, those kind of things, those, those where you're, like, just Google that for a minute, like you're, it blows your mind, right? Where you look and you, you start to see not just uh, like the specks that are in the sky, but you're actually able to see the intricacies of a star or the, of a planet, right? It's not just something that's really far off. And so here's, here's what I want us to remember, that Christ is not something small that we're trying to magnify, make bigger. He's something massive that's powerful and mighty and we, when we say we want to magnify him, it's that we want to show him to all those who cannot see him because he is distant. We want to, like a telescope, we want to be that telescope. So we want to say magnify, bring, bring honor, bring, like show him off to the world. Notice this connection, right, in in magnifying him. Look, think about the connection between that and later, right? verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love how David, David like wants the others to join in with him, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Like our David, not, not David in the Bible, but our, our David, David Leonard, uh, he says to us sometimes like, Join with us, sing along. Like, come on, church, let's do this, right? Like, let's, let's sing louder. Let's magnify the name, it, the name of the Lord. It is because we have a king worthy of making much of. And so when, when he is imploring us, pleading with us to sing and sing louder, church, do this. I don't want you to just say amen to me. I mean, I do, but not just because of that. But what I, I say, I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm, sometimes it feels like uh, I'm the only one up here enjoying this. Now, I'm sorry for you if you're not, but like, 
God's word is so worth enjoying. And so there's part of it that just is like, I want you to delight in it like this. I want you to enjoy it. And so sometimes when you say amen, I'm like, that person's enjoying it. Now, again, uh, y'all, like that's a habit you could start to have more. And just imagine, uh, someone once said that saying amen is like saying sickum to a, a yard dog. So like, let's go, right? So so you, like, let's, let's just double down on that and, and let's get after, right? He is worthy of magnifying. And, right, to, to be clear that we use the words, he's worthy of exalting. So making sure that he is above everything else, right? When other places, sometimes when the word exalting is there, it's like, I lifted you high. So it's that we, we make sure that we're making everybody be aware that in exaltation, we are putting him above everything else in our lives. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Whatever it is you do, you are exalting Christ. That's the plan. Oh, okay. So this is praising the Lord. This is what we want to see in these first few verses, that we would be ones who give him the rightful glory that he deserves. And as we, as we want to grow in our walk with him, we want to seek the Lord. Right? There's lots of thoughts about seeking him. And I want to be clear. We, we pursue Christ because he has pursued us, right? We love because he first loved us. We, we know this to be true, but there are like a lot of passages that remind us that we seek him. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, that I will, that will I seek after. I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I, I want to be in his presence. I want to seek after him. I want to know him. Verse uh, and so, so what happens when we seek the Lord? Guess what? You will be answered. Now, I want to be clear. You're not always answered in the way you want to be answered. Uh, but really, there's not a such thing as unanswered prayers. It's really just might not be the answer you were hoping for. There's really three options. Yes, we like that one. No, and we don't like that one, but we like its definitive nature. At least we got to know. Or wait. And really nobody likes that one. That's the one where we look back at him and we're like, okay, I get it, but I don't really want to wait. But the Lord answers This is what he says in verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. If you were wondering whether or not David had anything to fear, look at the, in in most of our translations, I would guess it has like uh, almost like a explanation of what the Psalm or who wrote the Psalm, different ones of them. And in this one, it says, this is a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So this is a point in which he's in front of a king that has the potential to annihilate him or not. So he has pretty good reason to be fearful. In fact, Abimelech would have been, I uh, think, we'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, same 
same king that would have been king of like Goliath. So David has already been one who's killed one of his guys, so to speak, kind of the on the bad guys team. And so now he's standing in front of him. Uh, it would be worth being a little bit afraid in his mind. And he says, you delivered me from all my fears. And so I wanna, I wanna pause and ask us this question. What are you afraid of? I looked up the list of greatest fears in America in 2021. It wasn't the things that uh, often make the, you know, like our kind of insignificant fears, things like speaking in public or spiders or, you know, whatever. It wasn't the phobias, so to speak. It was things like a loved one dying loved ones becoming seriously ill. Mass shootings was number three on the list. Not having enough money for retirement, terrorism, government corruption, being you yourself becoming seriously ill, hate crimes, medical bills, widespread civil unrest, a pandemic happening again, financial collapse, pollution, warfare. Some of these might be on your list. Maybe you have something else on your list. And, and maybe you are one who knows enough of the word to know I'm not supposed to fear anything. I'm not supposed to fear things of man. I'm really just supposed to fear God. And so, so for you, maybe if you were to, someone were to ask you in like church, hey, what are you afraid of? You'd say, oh, nothing. I don't have fears. I just fear the Lord. And so you would want to, you would want to cling to that, but you would couch other things you have that are probably fears in words like concern. Oh, I'm not worried about that. Just concerned. Put that in quotes. It's just concerning to me so much that I don't sleep at night. It's just concerning to me so much that I can't eat. It's concerning me so much that I overeat. Right, right, you can call it whatever you want to call it. What God calls it is fear, so we should probably stick with that. But what is it that you're concerned about? Quote, unquote. What's on your list that, that really does? It keeps you up. Maybe it's not terrorism or government corruption or another pandemic. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's just one of your children. Maybe it's your job or lack of a job. William Plummer, a commentator, writes this. He says, David's fears were great. Right? He had killed Goliath great champion of the very king before he is now standing in front of. He's a fugitive and a prisoner. And the Philistines remembered the deed. No doubt accused David to this Abimelech to sense and reason all looked dark. In that sad hour, David's mind was turned to God. The Lord in whose hands is the king's heart. He made it Abimelech indifferent, respecting his prisoner, and he drove him away. And so the royal sufferer was permitted to go to a stronghold and meet his whole family and his friends. Hear this, 
God can save by few or by many from the jaws of lions or the swords of kings. The more pressing the calamity in your life, the more earnest should be our applications to the throne of grace. The harder the thing is that you are going through, the more difficult the hardship, the more, the more uh, challenging, the more on your knees you should be, the more in your word, you, his word, you should be. What do we so often do? When, when things get hardest, we get further away. We, we distance ourselves. It's even hard to come to church when things are hard, isn't it? We don't want other people to ask us how things are going. We don't want people to question us. We don't want to have to put on a mask. So we think, and so we would rather just distance ourselves. I just had a conversation. I mean, I feel like I'm having this conversation week after week after week. But I'm saying to people over and over and over in my office and on the phone, go to the word. I will say that many times I hear of people struggling and their struggle increases their prayer life, but they keep asking God questions and then ignoring his answers. So, so, so here's what happens. You will be answered. Maybe not the way you want, but you will be answered. And hear, hear this, I love this part. You will be radiant. Look at verse five. Those who look to him are radiant. It makes me think of uh, in Exodus when, when Moses goes and he, he's receiving the commandments and he comes back down and he looks different, right? It says that his, his face shone. Why? Because he'd been in the presence of God. You, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you look different when you've been with the Lord. And, and your, your mask it doesn't cover it up real well. Like we, like as brothers and sisters, we know this about each other, right? We can tell when we've been with the Lord. Like we, we know this. And so you will be radiant. You will actually exude. My mom, every day uh, when I would leave the house, not always in the morning because she wasn't always awake, but like every day when I would leave the house uh, to go hang out with people, go to do, she would always say, this is mom in her very Cherie tone. She would say, shine for Jesus. Like that would be her thing. But she, she did. She wanted me to be radiant, make it known that Christ was in me, that Christ was being magnified in me. She wanted me to shine in that kind of way. Let your light shine before men. You will be radiant. When you have been with him, you can't help it, right? You go stand out in the sun for a while, you're gonna look like you've been in the sun. Well, it looked like some of us, not literally, some of us are looking real pale. Right? Not because it's not summer yet, but because we're not in his word. May he shine on us in such a way that we are radiant before him. And you will be saved. I gotta get moving. Whew. You will be saved, verse 30, verse 6. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him. I want you to hear this. Oh, this is so important. You, you might not be saved from the thing you fear the most. Guess what? Cancer might happen. Your loved one might die. Your, your uh, fear of spiders or speaking in public or heights or uh, pandemic or war or whatever it might be. But guess what? If you 
call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved from the thing you should fear most. Hear this. Like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that some of you are having a deaf ear right now. Hear this. Everyone, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? An eternity separated from God in a place called hell. You are rescued from that, redeemed out of that. All you do is turn away from yourself and your fears and your doubts and your worries and your inability to accomplish anything good and you trust in the one and only way, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. This is the truth. And I don't care what anybody else tells you, this is it. This is what we lean on. Not because Chad said so, but because the very word of God says so. Trust in him, you will be saved. And... You don't hear this from me very often, but you will be rich. Some of you are hitting the panic button. I didn't turn prosperity when I got to India. Don't worry. <laughs> but listen to verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Lest you think that richness and I'm talking about is about money. I know a lot of really rich, poor people. And I know a lot of poor, rich people. You know what I'm saying? This is not dealing with your bank account. This is that you will lack no good thing. All the stuff that's satisfying. This is why Paul says, I've learned to be content, right? I've learned to be content when, I, when my bank account is full. I've learned to be content when my bank account is empty, when no one's buying tents anymore, right? I've learned to be content when I get beaten. I've learned to be content when I'm in prison. Why? Not because everything's full and easy and great, but because he lacks no good thing. Do you lack no good thing? We praise the Lord, we seek the Lord, and we fear the Lord. We fear the Lord because he, he tells us to. The psalmist encourages us that fearing him brings about some particular good things for us. He protects his own. Verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Fear God. Stop fearing all of the other stuff and fear the one who can condemn. Fear the one who is right for us to fear. And this is just Psalm 34. Listen to Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Don't be worried about all the other stuff. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
And when you pass through the waters, guess what? I will be with you through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Take me to the flame if I get to be with him, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you, life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. If you are a child of God, you have nothing else to fear. And if you wonder why not, it's because he's with you. He's not, right? It doesn't mean you don't go through the fire. It doesn't mean you don't go into the flame. It doesn't mean you don't go into the crushing waves. It means he's there with you in the water. He's there with you in the fire. And he defeats his enemies. He takes them out. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. He defeats those who are in opposition to him. Yes, we, we like to remember, and we should, 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? For everyone that's not in Christ, for everything that's not in Christ, they are defeated. There is no victory for them. They lose. And that could be you. If you don't turn and trust, this is it. Like, this is it over and over and over. He wins. Finally, right, we want to praise the Lord. We want to seek the Lord. We want to fear the Lord. And we want to enjoy the Lord. I think too often we don't enjoy what we don't experience, right? We, John 10, like the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is, this is what's offered to us really from the enemy. But Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. This is not just that we would have life eternally with Christ. It's not just that we would one day have good times. It's not just that we would one day be fulfilled and content and satisfied. It's that right now, right as you're going through that fire, as you're going through that flame, as you're walking through those crushing waves, that you would experience the sweetness of the beauty of Christ. Psalm 16, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I want you to, to go back to verse eight. Circle verse eight. This, this is not just a passage that's good to be like painted over your oven. 
right? This is not just about fruit and food and taste. No, 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 no. Like, it's fine if you do that. I'm not bothered. But like, oh, hear these words again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When we want to enjoy the Lord, we need to taste the sweetness of the bread of life. Right? This, this bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Maybe you're like me a couple weeks ago and a little, a little dry. Your mouth is parched. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe, maybe really, until right now, you haven't been able to put your finger on it. But if you start thinking about it, maybe if you evaluate, you're not experiencing, you're not enjoying the bread that's offered to you. The fulfilling, satisfying word of God. Are you tasting the sweetness of Christ? And see the goodness of the fountain of joy. See that the Lord is good. Look for it. It might take a telescope, right? Because right now, he might feel really distant. And so you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta get the telescope out. You gotta look. But look in the right place. Some of you have asked, just this, <clears throat> the practical question, hey, I, and maybe you're asking this right now, but you've asked me before, some of you, where do I go? Where do I start? That sounds like me. I'm, I'm not tasting or experiencing. And, and every time, all I know to do is just start in the beginning because that's how you start every other book. And I get to about, you know, Genesis 20, and I get kind of tired. And I would say that in the same way that, that as we eat as little babies, we don't start with a steak. Right? right? We have milk and then we have those soft foods. Kinda, we increasingly introduce our children to, to different things. I would, so, so because of that, what I would encourage you is to go to the Psalms. Just read the Psalms. There's 150 of them. You've got plenty of time. And just hear the honesty beauty of God? Maybe, maybe go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See Jesus at work. See the miracles that he accomplished. Like, taste and see that he healed. He made the blind see and the deaf hear. Raised the dead to life. Like, go to those kinds of places in Scripture. It doesn't mean you never make it to Leviticus. It doesn't mean you never make it to Ecclesiastes or Lamentations or Jude. It means the more that you taste and see, 
more you will want all of it. You'll want the mashed potatoes, but you'll want the steak too. You'll want Romans. You'll want all of it. So, so today, I want to offer three particular ways for you to respond. One is that, as I've already said, that today you would turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus. Actually trust in him. Some of you, I think, maybe you're even used to being at church on a regular basis and and that's kind of hard for you. Or maybe you think, okay, I think I'm supposed to come forward and talk to somebody at the front of the steps. There probably won't be one of us here, but I'll tell you where they will be. They'll be right there. There will be people right at that door that would love to talk with you, meet with you, pray with you, answer your questions, help you. So today, maybe you did that this last week. Maybe, maybe earlier this week you've already turned and trusted in Jesus and you, you kind of raising your hand like, that's me, I, I want more of him. I wanna, I, I, I wanna do just like, I wanna get baptized. I wanna display that to the church. Then you too make your way to this room and let us know that we can celebrate with you. But a second, second option is maybe for those of us who are followers of Christ already. This might sound a little different but I want to encourage you to release your fears. Like to give them up. The scripture tells us to cast all our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Some passages, some translations, they cast all your anxieties to the Lord. Cast, like throw out. Give, like release. Put at his feet and walk away. And so in a very literal way, I think some of us need literal things to do. So what I would like to invite you to do is, is to come to these steps and maybe you bow down, maybe you just stand here for, for a moment and to the Lord, you just say the words of the thing you're giving up. What if you, if you fear cancer? You don't have it. You don't have a family member that's got it. But you're just afraid. You live in this constant worry that it's going to happen to you. Maybe you do have it. What, what, what would it look like if you just walked here and said to the Lord, cancer, I give my cancer fear to you. I, I give my marriage to you. I'm afraid it's crashing. It is crashing. It's crashed. It's burnt like it's imploding. I'm, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you that child that's kind of wayward. I'm putting them at your feet, God. I'm giving you my, my worries about money, my worries about having enough at retirement. I'm, I'm giving you my, my college education. I'm giving you the fact that I don't know what I'm gonna do and I just graduated yesterday. I'm, I'm gonna give you my, my job, my spouse, my children. And I'm gonna say, Christ be magnified at the altar of my life. I want more Christ than I do of that thing that I'm afraid of. See, because Christ is bigger than cancer and retirement 
and your bank account. And Christ is bigger than your marriage. And Christ is bigger than your wayward child. So, maybe today you simply just say that word to him. You just release it. God, I give it to you. Maybe you need to stay a little longer and ask God to help you give it to him. And for all of us, whether we come forward or we stay at our seat, as we conclude our time, why don't we sing together songs, How Good Is He? I hope that that today you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've experienced just, just for a moment the goodness of God. So as we respond in any of those ways, would you, would you tell him that he is good? Stand with me as we respond now.